Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, New Life. So last week, if you're with us, we saw a chain of disciple makers. Do you remember this? A chain of disciple makers that was made up of Paul, the Apostle Paul, that awesome married Christian couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and Apollos. And so if you remember, Paul, he poured himself into and discipled Priscilla and Aquila. And what did Priscilla and Aquila do? Did they just sit soaking sour? Did they just sit in a row and just receive truth and you know, just be learners for the rest of their lives? No. They grew to the place in their Christian life where now they're not just learning, now they're living it out. They're pouring into Apollos. And they disciple Apollos. And what does Apollos do? He goes to Corinth because he's grown in his faith to the place where now he can start sharing with other people. And so we saw last week, which was all about making disciples, that true discipleship is all about relationships and true discipleship is not just being a learner, but a liver. Somebody who grows spiritually to the place where they're able to pour spiritually into other people. And so my encouragement to you and I don't mind saying, please, <laughs> next month, groups kick off. Hey, don't just make the extent of your Christianity sitting in a row. Get in a circle, get in a group, make some relationships, grow in your relationship with the Lord, and then, who knows, the Lord may call you to start your own group where you can start pouring into other people. That was last week. This week is all about the spirit who gives life. We are in Acts 19, verse one. And so right now, if you're looking down at your Bible and you're looking at Acts 19.1, please say amen. amen. Okay, so please follow along today. It says, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul passed through the inland country and he came to what city? Ephesus. All right, so let's look at our map to get our geographical bearings. Paul finishes up his second missionary journey and he travels back to his home church, his sending church, the beautiful, healthy, spirit-filled church of Antioch of Syria, right side of your screen. So Paul stays there for some time, getting rest, getting refreshed, getting recharged, and you know Paul, he can't let the grass grow under his feet. So now he's taken off and he's starting his third missionary journey. And what is he doing? Well, go west, young man, he's heading west. And so he, what does he do on the way? He stops at the cities where he already planted some churches. And so he stops in Derby and Lystra, I'm sure, and Iconium and Antioch of Pisidia. And what is he doing? At the end of verse 23, he's strengthening the disciples. So Paul's not just about evangelism, he's not just about winning people to Christ. He's also about follow-up. He's about teaching them and strengthening them, and so that's what he's doing. And then he finally makes it all the way back to Ephesus, Western Asia Minor back then, now it's modern day Turkey, beautiful Ephesus, which sits right there on the Aegean Sea. And so Paul told, I mean, this is, he's, already, he's, he's coming back now to Ephesus. You remember last week, he made a short stint there he walks into the synagogue with his super short haircut, that whole story, and he says, because they are hungry for the word, if God wills, I'm gonna come back. Well, guess what? God willed it, and now he's back. Now, you need to know that the city of Ephesus was abandoned during the 15th century AD. 
So if you go to the, there today, you're just gonna see a pile of rocks. You'll be able to walk through the ruins, which by the way is fascinating because it includes a theater in Ephesus that sat 25,000 people. And so even though today it's just a pile of rocks, during the first century, Ephesus was a big town. It boasted a, a population of 500,000 people. And so because it was near the Aegean Sea, it had a major seaport. And from that seaport, there was three main roads that went out into Asia Minor. What does that spell? That spells jobs. And so Ephesus, in the time of Paul, here in Acts chapter 19, was a major metropolitan city. It was a center of commerce, lots of people, lots of jobs, all that's good. But here's what's not so good. What's sad, and we'll find this out when we tackle the second half of Acts 19 at a later date, but what's sad is that Ephesus, ladies and gentlemen, was filled with demonic activity, superstition, and idolatry. Demonic activity, superstition, and idolatry, that's what's going on in this city. So why does Paul go to Ephesus? Here's why, because people need the Lord. Demonized people, troubled people, they need the Lord. People who believe in all kind of superstitious nonsense, God loves them, they need the Lord. And not just that, but people who are idolaters, who are worshiping everything and anything but God, the true God of the Bible, they need the Lord too. How many of you believe people need the Lord? That's why it's never us for no more. That's why we've got to take the good news out like the apostle Paul did. So Paul returns to Ephesus, and I wanna show you what he found at the end of verse one. Okay, so look at the end of verse one. It says he came to Ephesus, and there he found some what? Disciples. Now, don't just automatically assume that these are Christian disciples. I'll explain it as we go. But suffice it now to say that in verse 7, it says there was about 12 of these men. So about a dozen disciples. Now, here, here's what happens. Paul enters Ephesus. He meets these 12 guys. And he begins to talk with them. He begins to converse with them. And as he's talking and conversing with them, all of a sudden, Paul senses Something's wrong. <laughs> Something's off. You ever been in a conversation and you just kind of sense that? Something's wrong. Something's off. Something's lacking, spiritually speaking. And we don't know. Luke, the author of Acts, is silent. All we can do is surmise. But maybe it was a lack of spiritual knowledge. Maybe these guys just didn't understand spiritual truth. Maybe it was a lack of spiritual passion and vitality. Maybe it was a lack of the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe Paul sensed, hey, where's the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the meekness and the self-control in these guys' lives? We don't know, but Paul sensed something was wrong, so he asked them a question in verse two. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? <laughs> and they said, Okay, if you have the ESV, shout out that first word. No. no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if the Holy Spirit was living inside of these men, don't you think they would have known it? Check out what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about this passage. He said, give a man an electric shock 
and I warrant or I guarantee you, he will know it. But if he has the Holy Spirit, he will know it much more. How many of you guys have ever been electrocuted? You've received an electric shock. Let me see your hands. Hey, did you know it? Yeah. Um, when I was a little kid growing up in Tampa, my mom was washing clothes. And she put her hands in the washing machine. And all of a sudden, she started to shake. And so my, my big brother, Matt, um, who's um, in the foyer uh, with CCA, um, he sees my mom shaking. He realized what's going on. Somehow the washing machine wasn't grounded correctly. 110 volts are, are happening. And he grabs her, and then he starts feeling it as well. And he's trying to pull her away. Now, my mom, you gotta know, she's a fun-loving lady, and when we were growing up, she was happy-go-lucky. She's always dancing around the house, so we just thought the woman's dancing, right? <laughs> but no, she was receiving an electric shock. And thank God he was able to pull her away, and uh, they called the ambulance. I remember I was a little kid, I'm crying, and my other brother, Mark's trying to comfort me during all of this, and thank God my mom was okay. By the way, she just celebrated her 86th birthday, and so that's a really cool thing as well. But, but, but check it out, give a man an electric shock and I guarantee you he'll know it, right? My mom knew it that day. But if he has the Holy Spirit, he'll know it much more. So ladies and gentlemen, when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, whether you experienced that when he first came inside of you, when you believed on Christ, or whether you experienced it at a later time when you were filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit of God, hey, at some point, you're gonna know the Spirit of God is inside of me. And so Paul says, scratching his head, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to follow my logic here. And, and by the way, this is a controversial text and it's interpreted different ways, but I want you to follow my logic here. Paul knew if a person did not have the Holy Spirit, he or she was not a true believer. Check out what Paul said in, in the book of Romans. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God, what's the next three words? Dwells in you. And here it is. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, you guys read that last line, go ahead. You see that? And so there's descriptive passages in the Bible and there's prescriptive passages in the Bible. The descriptive passages describe things, narrative. The prescriptive passages teach things. This is a prescriptive passage. We don't build doctrine on the descriptive passages. We build doctrine on the prescriptive passages. And the prescriptive passage of Romans 8, 9 says, hey, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in here, you're not a Christian. You're not a true believer. The Spirit of God has got to live inside of you. Again, Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Well, if anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so my position on this is these guys were not true believers, at least not yet. And I think Paul's trying to figure out too where they stand spiritually because look at the question now he asked them in verse three. 
And he said, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into whose baptism? Shout out his name. John, okay, so this further confirms my position. These guys are not disciples of Jesus. They're disciples of John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a great guy, but I have a question. Can John the Baptist give spiritual life, yes or no? No, John the Baptist cannot give life, but the one he pointed to, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he can give life. Jesus Christ, our Lord, can give life. It's about Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. And so John told the people when he was active in his ministry, he said, I have baptized you with water, but he, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit, Mark 1.8 says. And so it's great that these guys have been baptized by John in water, but it would be so much better if they could be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if that is gonna occur, they've got to get the rest of the story. And they need to put their faith, hope, trust in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says to them, now in verse four, look at verse four, and Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to, what's the word? Believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, shout out his name, Jesus. Do you really think Paul would be telling these guys to believe in Jesus if they're already Christians? Let me try that again. Are you awake this afternoon? Do you really think Paul would be telling these guys about believing in Jesus, the one who, Paul, who John pointed to, if they're already saved, if they're already Christians? Yes or no? No, no. And so what is Paul doing? He's sharing the gospel. He's giving them the rest of the story. And of course, Luke, the author of Acts, is just giving the highlights here. But you know Paul, Paul's a long-winded preacher, and so his gospel presentation, I'm sure, was a lot longer than the highlights that Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, includes in Acts chapter 19. And so I don't know what Paul said. Maybe it was something like this. He's talking to the 12 men, and he's saying, guys, here's what you need to know, that after John the Baptist baptized the Lord Jesus, that as he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, anointed him, and he was a, the Spirit of the Lord, as Isaiah said, was upon him, and he went out, and he had this amazing three-year ministry. He was preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and not only that, he was raising dead people back to life. Blind people all of a sudden saw, hearing people heard, mute people speaking, crippled people are walking. It's absolutely amazing what happened the rest of the story. But that's not the whole story, because Jesus, after he lives a perfect life, willingly goes to a cross. You remember the guy that you follow, John the Baptist, said, look, the Lamb of God, he became the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, and as he hung between heaven and earth, he took your sin and my sin into his body on the tree, and he absorbed the wrath of God, and Jesus paid for our sins in full on the cross. He suffered, he died, he was buried. And on the third day, guys, here's what you need to know. Here's the rest of the story. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And here's what you need to know, that when the Son of God went up, the Spirit of God came down on the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit of God 
The Spirit of God filled the disciples of Jesus to overflowing with the Spirit of God, empowering them to preach the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Paul preached the gospel to these guys. And good news, they believed in Jesus. They went from being followers of John to followers of Jesus. Now what's the first step of obedience after you believe in Jesus? Baptism, thank you for engaging in the message. It's fine to talk back to me, it's fine, as long as it's nice. But baptism, hence our next verse, verse five. And on hearing this, the gospel, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here we go again in the scriptures. First they believed, then they're baptized. How many times have we seen this, right? The biblical order is not first get baptized, and then later on when you grow up, you can believe it's not here. And so these guys, first they believed, then they were baptized, but they had to understand the difference between John's baptism and Christ's baptism. And so John's baptism, I said this last week, was a baptism that looked forward to Christ's ministry. Christ's baptism looked back at his ministry. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It prepared Israel for her Messiah. Christ's baptism is a baptism of identification. Who are we identifying with when we get baptized? Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. So what am I doing right here, right now? I'm teaching you, right? So, and I'm teaching you about a very important doctrine called baptism. And so you guys are sitting out there in the rows and you're receiving this teaching, I hope, you're listening and not thinking about cheddars. I hope, you're, I hope you're receiving it, and now you're learning, but now guess what? The Lord wants you to live it out. What does that mean? That means that if someone comes to you and says, hey, whatever your name is, why should I be baptized? Can you even explain Christian baptism? Or have you got to that place in your Christian life? So, so here, here's what I'm doing. I'm giving you the, the answers for free right now. I'm teaching you Christian baptism. What is Christian baptism? It's a baptism of identification that looks back on the ministry of Christ, that looks back on the, the finished work of Christ on the cross. And what are we doing? We're identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. Where do you get that? Romans 6, 3, and 4. Paul says, don't you know, as many of us as were baptized, were baptized into Christ's death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. This is why um, during our Thursday services when we have the baptismal, sometimes you'll hear the elders or the pastors, they'll say, buried in the likeness of his death. Well, what is that water, that watery grave picture? We're identifying with Jesus in his death and his resurrection and raised in the likeness of his resurrection, go and walk in newness of life. That's what it pictures. That's what we're doing. We're identifying with the second person of the Trinity. 
And the more I learn and grow and go to Israel, and I've been there, I guess, four or five times, and I've seen the mikvahs that the archaeologists have dug from the first century around the Temple Mount. And what are these things? They're just basically holes in the ground. They're filled with water, at that time at least. And when you're being baptized on the day of Pentecost, I don't think Peter and Paul were, I'm not, not Paul, he's later, but I don't think Peter and John were doing this. I think you just, hey, I believe in Jesus. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you walk down in that mikvah and you're buried in the likeness of his death under the water and you turn around and you get up and you walk up those stairs out of that mikvah and I'm raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. And it's not so much about the mode, right? If you wanna get baptized in a mikvah, good luck, right? But we'll, we'll have a little pool here. So here's my question. Are you ready? Have you heard this before? If you haven't been baptized, what's the word? Since you've believed in Christ, it's a commandment. It doesn't save you, but you need to do it. You need to identify with the Son of God. And our next baptism is gonna be on Thursday, January the 9th, not the 2nd. Thursday, January the 9th at our Thursday service. If that all makes sense to you, please say amen. amen. And by the way, you can sign up on our, on our website under Next Steps. All right, so now things are really gonna get exciting here. Look at verse 6. Verse six, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying and there were about 12 men in all. And I say, wow. Right, just like Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, I guarantee you that when the Holy Spirit came into these guys' lives, he lit up their world. And so what happened in the scriptures? They placed their faith in Christ, they received the Holy Spirit when they believed, and now the Spirit of God is filling them to overflowing, and, and he gave them certain gifts, namely here, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Now I'm gonna come back to those gifts here in a little while, but here's what you need to know. The greatest gift that these 12 men received here in Acts 19 is the gift of life. The gift of life, eternal life, spiritual life. That's the greatest gift that we could ever have. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you know that our culture is running after everything and anything to try to fill some kind of void inside of their lives? Don't you understand that they're going to all the wrong people in all the wrong places? because nothing can fill the void inside your heart except Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said this to the woman at the well. Yeah, we can thank him. We can thank him for that. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter four, he's pointing at that water in Jacob's well there in Samaria, and he said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And I just wanna tell you that all that stuff that you're running after, guess what? It's not gonna quench your thirst. You're gonna be thirsty again. It's found in Jesus. Everybody who drinks this water, ma'am, is gonna be thirsty again. Whoever, whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Who's Jesus talking about? The Holy Spirit. Living water. I wonder, are you just religious going through rituals? Or do you have a relationship with Jesus 
and you're experiencing living water in your life. And so who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, biblically speaking, through the progressive revelation of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is, is the third person of the Trinity. Now what I'm talking about now is super, super, super important because I'm talking about the person and nature of God Almighty. And by the way, here's what you gotta do. You gotta be very careful when you talk about God and who he is. Because if you get this wrong, you are now in the category of the cults. If you deny the divinity of Christ, you're in the category of the cults. If you deny the divinity of the Holy Spirit, you're in the category of the cults. Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy, if you're with me, say amen, please. The Holy Spirit is not an it or a force or some kind of impersonal, you know, electrical current or whatever. That's not the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is a person, capital P. The way we know that is because he can be grieved, he can be lied to. He's a person and a lot of other reasons I don't have time to get into, but the Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. And just like the Nicene Creed says, he is the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified, and he has spoken through the prophets. That's a biblical statement about the Holy Spirit of God. What does he do? Well, in the time that I have left, I'm gonna share with you what he does. If you wanna to continue to engage in the message, there's lots of points there on your card. Don't worry, I'm not gonna teach extensively on all these points. But in the time that I have left, which is 17 minutes and 42, 41, 40, 39, I hate that clock, I really do. But I just wanna mention, say a few words, and go to the next one. Mention, say a few words, go to the next one, because I really, as your pastor, I want you to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and I wanna whet your appetite so maybe you'll dig a little deeper into what he does in the future. Okay, so if you're ready to take notes, here we go. The first truth is that the Holy Spirit convicts, convicts the world. Jesus said in John 16, eight, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Okay, so if you do not believe in Christ, guess what? You're under condemnation. You're still in your sins. And so of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, he said, because I go to the Father. He's speaking about his ascension. And so what does the ascension tell the world? The ascension of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, had eyewitnesses. Not just the resurrection. The resurrection is a fact of history because over 500 people saw Christ alive after he had been dead. And they talked about it. They wrote it down. It's an eyewitness account. But not just the resurrection. The ascension had eyewitnesses too. And the fact that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, what does that tell the world? That tells the world that he's not a criminal, as Caiaphas and Annas and the Sanhedrin said, crucifying him, no, he is righteous. If he wasn't righteous, he wouldn't be ascending to the right hand of the Father. And so the Holy Spirit comes, and this is his pre-salvation work. He comes to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged in anybody who believes his lies. 
And I remember sitting in a stadium in Tampa, 50 or whatever thousand people, and Billy Graham sharing the gospel, and the conviction, ladies and gentlemen, was so thick, you could cut it like a knife. Because here's what you need to know. You cannot, you will not be saved until you admit you're lost. You need to come to a place where you see your need, that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Then the door is open for you to be saved. But if you think that you can self-righteously work your way up into heaven, you are gonna open your eyes like the rich man in Luke 16 in hell and be crying out for water. And what are you doing, pastor? I'm warning you. I'm warning you to come to the place where you see your desperate need for Christ and his blood to forgive your sins. This is what the Holy Spirit does. When I was um, a teenager, I got the gospel track. You've heard the story. And I read, the wages of sin is death. And as soon as I saw that, and the track explained it's not just physical death, it's spiritual death as well, I came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I saw that it, because I thought I, I, could, I could be good enough. You know, I'm gonna march my way into heaven and the angels are gonna blow the trumpet. Bum, 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 here comes Mike, yay. Woo! Now, like, uh, right? Self-righteousness will never get you there. We all need Jesus. What's the second thing he does? He, he points to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father he will bear witness about who? Jesus says, me. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He points to Jesus. And as I continue to read that gospel tract, the wages of sin is death, but thank God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when the Holy Spirit's pointing to him. So you gotta come to the place where you see your need for a savior, and then you need to understand that Jesus is the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So the Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit points to Jesus, but then the Holy Spirit, praise God, gives us a new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus, a religious guy who thought he could work his way to heaven by keeping the law of Moses, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of Everybody say the word water. Okay, so that does not mean baptism. Okay, and so what, ha what happens? People practice, just so stay with me here. People practice eisegesis instead of exegesis. Eisegesis is when you take your predetermined doctrine and you try to shove it into God's word. Exegesis you just take the scriptures for what it says. And so how do you interpret the Bible? You interpret the Bible in the context of the verses before it and after it. And so what is water? It's not baptism. Jesus defines it for us in the very next verse. Okay, so truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Super, super important here. He says, here's the explanation, that which is born of the what is what? There's your definition for water. See how you let the Bible interpret the Bible? That which is born of flesh is flesh. So water is not baptism. Water is the amniotic sac, it's the woman's birth sac. 
It's being physically born. What is Jesus doing? He's teaching that there's physical birth, but there's spiritual birth. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so when we place our faith in Christ, guess what? The spirit gives us spiritual life. If you're with me here, say amen, come on. Listen to this. In our BC, before Christ's days, we were, Ephesians 2, dead in our trespasses and sins, without hope. But guess what? When, when the conviction of the Spirit came and we were convicted of our sin and we saw our need for a Savior and then someone shared the gospel with us or we read it or whatever, all of a sudden now we come to Jesus Christ and the moment we placed our faith in Christ, you need to know the Spirit of God comes and he makes us new. He makes our spirit which was dead. Now all of a sudden he quicks it, quickens it, generates it, makes it alive and now we're not just body and soul, we're body, soul and spirit so when we walk through those doors, and we put our hands up and we worship God during the worship set and we sense the spirit of God, that's because we are born again. We're born spiritually by the grace of God. That's what God wants to do in our lives. And by the way, I have to throw this in with all due respect to certain people within the Christian faith. The Holy Spirit does not come on an unwilling person and zap them and regenerate them so they can believe. Wrong answer. The Holy Spirit woos and he draws. We have a choice, ladies and gentlemen. We're either willing or we're unwilling. And when we put our faith in Christ, and it is a gift, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is a gift. Even the faith is a gift. But we gotta be willing. The moment we put our faith in Christ, the Spirit responds and gives us new birth. You gotta be willing Jesus said to the people of Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. Whose fault is it that those people are in hell right now? Is it God's fault because they're not part of the elect? Give me a break. It's not true, don't believe it. The fault is they were not willing. That They saw their own Messiah. I'm not talking about all the Jews because a lot of Jews came to Christ, praise the Lord, but some of them said, no way. You cannot ever blame that on God. And so the Spirit of God woos and draws. We put our faith in Christ. He regenerates us, but that's not all. He also indwells us. Do you not know that your body, Christian, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Hey, right there, that should be a motivation for us not to mess around with sin. You know, with all due respect, I don't know how anybody ever goes down to whatever avenue and picks up a prostitute who's a Christian. How do you do that? Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. God is in you. I don't know how someone ever has sex outside of marriage. How do you do that, Christian? The Holy Spirit of God lives in you, the Holy of Holies, it's right here. And so, hey, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God, therefore glorify your body. And I remember when I came to Christ and the Spirit of God came inside of me and it was like wave upon wave of God's love and guess what, when he came inside of me, he's here to stay. He's not going anywhere. 
And this is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. In the old covenant, the spirit would come and go, come and go, come and go. But under the new covenant, when he comes in your life, he's, here to, he's there to stay. And that's good news. And then the next thing the spirit does is he baptizes us. So this is not a verse on water baptism. This is a verse on spiritual baptism. So for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Okay, and so what happens is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the spirit baptizes or immerses us, spiritually speaking, into the universal body of Christ. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we become one with the big C church. Don't you know there's millions and millions of brothers and sisters all around the world right now who are born again and know the Lord and are worshiping the Lord? And so the moment you put your faith in Christ, the Spirit, he spiritually immerses you in that big C church, the universal body of Christ. And we should be excited about the local church, but we should be more excited that we're part of the big C church. It's an awesome thing. Praise the Lord, let's just give it up for God for all these eternal truths. And if you think that's exciting, look at this next one. The Spirit seals us. Okay, so for all of those of you who are truly born again, you're doubting your salvation again, and you're allowing Satan to beat you up again, keep you up at night, at, you know, wondering, am I saved, am I not saved? Please, get this verse. You gotta, you gotta stop letting the, the enemies paralyze you with fear over your eternal security. Believe the promises of God. What's the promises of God? In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, look it, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. Can we all on the count of three say guarantee like you mean it? One, two, three, go. Guarantee. He's the guarantee, he's the down payment of what? of our inheritance in heaven until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So when you heard the gospel and you trusted Christ, the spirit of God came inside of you and he sealed you and that seal is the down payment guaranteeing that you are going to heaven and then one day when you get there and you acquire possession of your eternal inheritance, you'll look back and say, thank God that I wasn't kept because of my works. I was kept in God's grace, by his grace, and all the praise and all the glory goes to God for what he does in our lives. We praise God for that. We should rest in that. Rest in the promises of God because he is awesome, awesome God. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Listen, he said, I go and prepare a place for you. Jesus the carpenter, he's up there right now in the New Jerusalem, making a little area for you. He knows what you like. Pop, pop. Can you see him up there? I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, not I might, and not only if you're really, really good. 
He said, I will come and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And ladies and gentlemen, here's what I know, that if you're a born-again Christian, the moment you take your last breath, you're not gonna die, you're just gonna move. You're gonna move to a new location. You're gonna acquire the possession in the new Jerusalem of what Jesus has been building for you. You are gonna take possession of that. And here's what Jesus says, that when you get there, your loved ones who've gone before, who know Christ, they're gonna welcome you into your eternal dwellings and you're gonna praise God forever and ever and ever. I appreciate that most of you are clapping. I don't understand why not why everybody isn't just like freaking out right now and saying, thank you, Jesus, for your love and grace. Hey, a million years from now, you're still gonna be alive. A billion years from now, you're still gonna be alive. Why? Because you're so good? No, because he's so good. He's great. He's awesome. And, and this is what reminds me, um, because some of you guys get really excited and some of you don't, and I've always got to remind myself that some of you guys are reserved and some of you guys are really outgoing. And so can we just talk about this right now real quick? I may go a little over, I'm sorry. But, but here's what you need to know. In every church, there's, there's really outgoing people and there's really reserved people. So here's what you need to know, that sometimes when preaching is happening or worship is happening, the really outgoing people, I'm speaking to you reserved people, the really outgoing people, they like to dance, they like to jump up and down, they like to clap their hands, they like to shout hallelujah. Guess what, reserved person? It's okay, it's the way God made them. <laughs> and you outgoing people, right? Here's what you need to know, that when, when, when the truth is being preached and you can't even sit in your seat or, or you're ready to explode in hallelujahs and you look over and you see your reserved brother or sister or they're just sitting there like this, what you need to know is their heart is rejoicing, and it's okay too. So guess what? Let's both just accept one another in the family of God. It's okay. It's all right. It's a wonderful thing. The next truth is that the Spirit assures us of our identity. That's Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Stop doubting. You have the witness of the promise of God's word and you have the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart if you're born again. The next truth, the Spirit gives us gifts. So there's this variety of gifts, the same Spirit who appoints to each one individually as he wills. And so in the small font, those are the two main places in the New Testament that list all the gifts. I wanna encourage you to find out what gifts you have. And the Bible is not completely clear, right? We receive gifts when we're born again, yeah. But that doesn't mean we can't receive gifts later in life. And so find out what your spiritual gift is and then operate in your giftedness. There is no verse in the Bible that tells us that you only get spiritual gifts when you're saved. It's not there. And so the Lord will give you the gifts as you need them, as you serve him, but find out what your gift is. And so these 12 men met in Ephesus and they were given the gifts of tongues and prophecy. And so what's happening about 23 years after Pentecost? What's happening is another Pentecost. And so just like their brothers and sisters back in Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they spoke in 
different languages. And the Jews from the dispersion all over other areas that spoke different languages, hey, we can hear them praising God, declaring the wonderful works of God in our languages. And so the same thing is happening here. These people are speaking in other languages. Pastor, why do you keep saying languages? Because it's not gibberish. It's not nonsensical noise. It's not. The gift of tongues, don't misdefine it. It's languages. And what are they doing? They're sharing the gift of tongues and they're prophesying, they're speaking forth the wonderful works of God because man, these guys have been made new. And so I just gotta say this real quick. Some people are teaching in the, in the church, not this church, but they're teaching that everybody's supposed to have the gift of tongues. Is that true? No, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 and 30, he asks a series of rhetorical questions. So I'm gonna read it, and you guys answer out loud, the answer is either yes or no. Okay, you ready? Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No, so are we really supposed to put a yes after all the no, 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 no's? No, and so you may have a gift that someone else doesn't have, and it's okay. The next truth is that the Spirit sanctifies us, and so for by a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so what you need to know is being sanctified is a lifelong process. The word sanctification means to be set apart, to be made holy. And I really wish that some of you guys would make it your goal in 2020 to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your sanctification process. Because here's what you need to know. The moment you place your faith in Christ, you're justified, you're saved, past tense, from the penalty of sin. That can't change but then you immediately start the lifelong process of sanctification where you're being saved from the power of sin. And that is a process. And we gotta submit to the Lord and allow him to make us holy, to make us like Christ. Next point is that he fills us. And I'm not gonna re-preach all this. I've been preaching this a thousand times. But you need to know that the word filled is a metaphorical word. It's synonymous with influence. And so just like you don't come under the influence of alcohol, at least I hope you don't, you, sh you should come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. One leads to a loss of control, one leads to the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is self-control. But we really should be filled and being filled, literally in the Greek, it's continue to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so if you're a Christian, you're born again, your need is not to receive the Holy Spirit. He already lives inside of you. But you do need to be filled continually, and so do I, with the Holy Spirit. And so submit to Christ and ask him to do that. And then he guides us, next point, into all truth. That's what John 16, 13 says. So your next fill-in is guides into all truth. And here's what I know because I got saved in 1984. But since 1984 until this, this year, this year, 
Here, here's been my experience. Maybe it's been your experience. There's always two voices, right? One's a liar, one's a truth teller. Who's the father of lies? Satan. How do you know if he's lying? Lips are moving. He's always whispering, 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 whispering. And so the Holy Spirit wants to lead you into truth to shut him up. And so who and what does the Holy Spirit lead us to? He leads us to Jesus, the who, and he leads us to the word, that's the what. Jesus, he says, I am the way, the truth. Jesus is truth embodied. And he said, your word is truth. And so if you want to shut him up, you need to listen to Jesus and you need to get into the word of God. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. He produces fruit in us, that's the next point. And that's love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Everything opposite of what you experienced on 995 and US1. <laughs> Prima Vista and PSL Boulevard, right? And I was, I was meeting with my life group on Thursday and we were all talking about at Panera Bread how all of this stuff is in the context of a relationship with Jesus. And the more in 2020 that you decide to submit to Christ and follow Christ, the more that is gonna be flowing through you. And wives, how many of you wives want husbands who produce that, right? Do, do you really want wives, husbands that produce that? Hey husbands, how many of you guys want wives that produce that, right? All, all of us do. And it comes in a relationship. Did I get some of you guys in trouble? <laughs> comes in a relationship with Jesus. Here's, here's your last point, last point. The Spirit of God loves you guys so much, he's praying for you. Amen. It says in Romans 8, 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And the saints are not necessarily those dead people that the church decides are saints. The saints are, pardon the bad English, all y'all. That's what the New Testament says a saint is. 